the number of posts where I see people saying absolutely nothing and having other people grifting on top of that by leaving an empty comment. What are you doing this for? I'm Margaret Kelsey. I am Devin Bramhall. And this is Don't Say Content, created and produced in partnership with Share Your Genius. Huge shout out to our producers at Share Your Genius. Thank you so much. Thank you for believing in us early on, supporting and making this podcast come to life. And if you, dear listeners, are thinking about bringing an idea or your brand to life and scaling it, I'd recommend having a quick little convo with our favorite people at Share Your Genius. We are talking about something today. Today. It's a day that we talk about something that I, you know what, Devin, I'm a little apprehensive about this, if I can be honest. Oh, okay. Tell me more. Because I think that there is not nuance around this. I think it is a little nuanced. It's also very ego-driven. And so I think that's my biggest anxiety around our conversation today is there are egos involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And anytime that you touch an ego, you might get burned. (laughs) That's not a saying, but it could be. It should be, right? Yeah. Yeah. An ego is a hot burner. Like, I hope that everyone listens to this and comes away with the, a different perspective of maybe what they came in with. But at the same time, there is part of me that is anxious about it. But without further ado, why don't you, why don't you introduce our topic today? Woof. Today. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> I'll go hide in the corner. I'll go duck under the table and you just do this episode. Okay. Devin, what are we talking about today? Okay, so today we are talking about grifting in content marketing. And I think it would be good to begin with a definition of some kind. And I would like to offer how I currently think about it. It's not a perfect definition, but I did really sit down and say, like, what does grifting mean to me? And grifting mean to me is specifically related to content marketing, actually, let's just be specific on this one. Because I think when you get into the areas of like advertising, the things that you think in content are grifty are actually what makes advertising work and fine. So let's say grifting in content marketing. Okay. And to me, that is when someone creates content of some kind that is solely for their own benefit, minimal effort to achieve their goal, either knowing or not caring, which I think are the same thing, that whether or not the post is a waste of the reader's time doesn't help or is interesting, right? They are just in it for themselves. And therefore, they're not thinking about their reader. They're just saying, how can I get what I need from my audience, my reader, my etc.? So an example of that would be most posts about AI right now that are just capitalizing on a trend. They're not offering anything new to the conversation and they're not trying. And I would differentiate from say a beginner, like a novice. Mm -hmm. There are people who say things that to you and I probably aren't that interesting or new because they're new to the industry. That's not grifting. They're practicing and growing and, you know, And we probably wouldn't even see those anyway. I'm talking about people with large audiences who know better, who write a minimum viable product 
that doesn't require, it doesn't add anything or really help anyone, but it achieves a goal just for them. Here's the problem. And I think we have talked about this on the podcast before. The problem to me is that if you are grifting, you either know about it and don't care. Thus, this podcast is going to do nothing. Or you don't know and you maybe care, but you don't know, like, you don't know what grifting looks like. You don't know that the content you're writing is grifting. And so you would probably listen to this and be like, yeah, grifting sucks. But then yeah, go I back to your that. post. <laughs> yeah. Because you learned a way of content marketing that is surface level, doesn't contribute, but achieves results based on algos and things like that. Yeah. Talk to me about the nuance of like content marketing. Yes. Being helpful and informational is a piece of it. Being entertaining, I think, is also a useful form of content marketing. Do you have any distinction there? Like, do you think it's that grifters think that they're being entertaining with the grift? I can't speak for every grifter. Of course. Or, or any, any really, because <laughs> I would like to think I am not one. But then again, I if I am one, I wouldn't know anyway. So, <laughs> but I would say maybe it would be helpful to use an example to illustrate. I am getting out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found one that I, I found a way to anonymously okay. give an example because okay. I was brought into one yep. recently. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good example, actually. Ahrefs taught me SEO. It no. was our infrastructure at Animals. Yeah. Like yeah. that was part of our like tech stack and everybody at the company used it. And I just remember growing up at startups and nobody was ever there to teach you your job. And you had to learn a lot along the way. Help Scout was where I really had to get my shit together with SEO strategy. And I was like, what do I do? And one of our growth marketers walked me through Ahrefs. The UI looks like it's a lot, but then you go yeah. and start using it and it's like all logic. It's all logic. Like it's all marketing logic, the way it works. And so you're kind of like, oh, you're just like giving me all the answers. And it's also the fact, the reason that I feel like it feels like that is because it is so powerful. Like you literally have access to information that I had no idea that I could actually access. Competitors, keywords, how they're ranking, like absolutely powerful stuff in order to understand how your content and brand programs are. So Ahrefs, thank you so much for not only a fantastic product, but also sponsoring season two. Yes. And also helping me achieve my first big objective at Help Scout. It was pretty important and aggressive and it kept me in my job a little bit longer. So So thank you for Devin's salary back then. (laughs) Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say Don't say Ahrefs. Don't say Ahrefs. Say Ahrefs. 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 Okay. So. Some folks who follow me on LinkedIn will remember this, but Tommy Walker recently had me on his show to do the cutting room where you talk about your approach to editing and content marketing, and then you edit a piece together. He sends you the article in advance, anonymized. He doesn't tell you the author. He just pastes the text in a doc. 
so that, you know, you don't call the person out on the show, but you can review a real life piece of content marketing live. We had a call, he prepped me for it, and then he sent me the article. And I started reading the article and very quickly realized that it was clearly intentionally not written well. Yeah. Like this, the person who wrote it created a piece for their own benefit and didn't put any effort into what they published. And they published it. And to me, I don't care how much traffic your site gets. If you're going to click publish on something that is you taking ownership and responsibility for something you are putting out into the world. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe it has to be perfect. If you have a blog and you write stuff that's not perfectly pu- great, good for you. People love reading that stuff. I love reading that stuff. But if you create something that is inherently a waste of everyone's time and even leads them astray, that is frustrating. Let me pull up the article because this was actually a really interesting. So it's called Editorial SEO, The Ultimate Guide to Growing from Content. And even beyond this, to publish an article about this topic, ranking for SEO as a term, is really hard. Not, I mean, yes and no, I guess. So you're ranking in search, right? Search engine optimization is a combination of activities that, you know, from site structure, URL, site map, all that stuff, loading time, there's sort of the technical side. And then there's the content side where you're building a portfolio of knowledge that Google can see and interpret to make, to say you're an authority on something and then validation from things like backlinks. I am boiling that down to the very simplest parts. Just do those things and your articles will rank in search. Exactly. There's my grifting post of the day. (laughs) But you can get very specific. And I think that's the benefit is like, if you were to write about SEO, A, good luck. So much is already. That's what I'm saying. Like, good luck with this piece ever doing well. Sure. But that's like, fine. New people come around and they should have a shot, right? Write something good and, you know, do the work. And so anyhow, this was one of those posts where it almost looked like it was written by AI unedited. Mm. Like certain sentences didn't even connect to one another on a very basic level. So the perfect example is right at the beginning. (laughs) So the title is Editorial SEO, The Ultimate Guide to Growing from Content. First problem, growing what? Mm. Growing as a person? Yeah. Growing a child, a plant, whatever. The first sentence, in this article, we talk about what editorial SEO is, how it differs from different types of SEO, and how to use it to grow your SEO and organic traffic. And then in just 12 months, Monday.com was able to publish 1,000 blog posts and scale to over 1.4 million monthly visitors, all from SEO. That is what fundamentally teed this article up for failure because this wasn't a post about Monday.com. Yeah. And the way they went about the the SEO conversation was bungled and incoherent. A very basic writer from high school would see that this was not constructed on a very basic readable level in a way that anyone could under, get a takeaway. So like yeah. take away your actual knowledge of SEO. 
it's not even structured logically or consistent. And so when it's at that level where a high schooler could make this better. So the episode, so we, we recorded this episode. <laughs> I ended up writing a post semi-apologizing for it because he like they, he publishes it and then the live viewers and a few of them commented and they were like, she's being mean. And I was like, okay, if this was a real person who was trying to write well, it would be mean. But like, if you read it, you can see that is not the case. Yeah. That to me is Somebody Griffin. didn't try. Somebody didn't, didn't try. They didn't even try because the mistakes that were made were so fundamental. Yeah, so flagrant. And other people brought up, you know, language barriers and things like that. Sure, empathetic. But we run into this all the time as U.S. people trying to conduct international content strategy. Like, my hope is that someone would be like, this article is garbage. It makes no sentence in my uh, makes no sense in my language. Makes no sentence in my language. Makes no sentence. Actually, probably that. That too. actually works. That actually. If you pay me, like I, I can do this for you for a charge. So, like, I think that's one of the reasons why this grifting continues to happen in content marketing, is there's always somebody who's like, yeah, but. What if that like hurts the person's feelings? Or like, what if they don't know any better? I'm like, I'm sorry, that person hit publish. They should take responsibility for their garbage writing or their lack of care for the people that they're supposed to be helping. Like if you're yeah. gonna say, I'm gonna help you with editorial SEO, you better help them in some way. Yeah. And this did none of that. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the grifting piece comes back to what gets measured gets managed. And this idea of like measuring the wrong KPIs, right? Like if your KPI is impressions or awareness or like even clicks, you know, whatever, then you're going to do some grifty tactics. But if you're thinking holistically that all of the work that you do also wraps up into a brand experience, you would never grift because it's a bad brand experience and it won't get you to the final outcome, which is a sale, a purchase, or whatever. Or maybe it works in the short term, but it doesn't work in the long term because you're not building up that um, trust and credibility. And so I ability. And so I think I think it's looking at either the wrong metric or the wrong time horizon for success. Yeah. And maybe like not also seeing the metric as a formula. So I think there was a time when content marketing was a little too precious. I don't know if you were like you experienced this at Intercom, but in the Help Scout days. Intercom. Oh, sorry. Whoa. Envision. Hi. Was that like a fatal? I'm like Intercom. No, well, I I, we definitely competed at AppQs with Intercom, so it was a little. No, like different tools, but in terms of like you guys both had like a very. I feel like the content marketing on both sides was robust. So and. At the time that you were in Vision and I was at Help Scout, that was a very precious time in content marketing where it really was like, don't ask them for anything. Yeah. Don't make them click a button. Like, just give it away for free. So, like, I also don't believe in that. Yeah. And I think that it could be hard for, especially, you know, folks who really are intentional about wanting to help their reader or their, their reader's audience, whatever. They're afraid of grifting to the point where they overgive, right? Yeah. And I think that's where that whole conversion rate optimization blends with content to come up with a growth strategy that helps your people at the same time you're sort of leading them 
in a direction that you're hoping they will go, right? They will opt into. I've had a couple conversations recently, and I feel like this is this could be another reason of this is that we as marketers talk a lot about, oh, we're just going to move people through the funnel and here's the conversion path. And here's the way that we are going to manipulate people to do something regardless of their own desire to do it or not. When in reality, all marketing can do, I think fundamentally is educate and remove friction, right? Like the best marketing can really only prompt somebody to do something that then they have to make the decision on whether or not they're going to do it. And we think that we're like somehow magicians or like we talk like we're hypnotists that we can like massively put a spell under this large group and perfectly move them through this conversion path that we've set up. But ultimately, if like the person's not ready to make that next conversion, they're not going to do it. And I think this grifting comes from a place of like, oh, if I just do the thing, if I just do the action of it, then people will like fall under my spell and like little lemmings off a cliff just jump right into my sales funnel or whatever. When in reality, what you're doing is you're like trying to get a human being to understand that they have a problem, to understand that there is a solution, and then to get them a frictionless path to do the thing that you want them to do, knowing that they have to also make the decision to then do it. And I think that's why the brand part, I think, is so important because, well, what we call brand, I think the saturation of channels piece of marketing when we've talked about like my thought on like how marketing is essentially two things, the saturation of channels, which some people call brand with a consistent message that resonates is so important because what you're doing is you're letting that person when they have the internal trigger that they're ready to then know about your product enough to then go find you, seek you out, do those things. And I think with content marketing, especially back in all our days, the battle, battle days, battle worn. I think that like what we were doing was we really focused on that altruistic marketing, right? We focused on this idea of let's just provide a lot, a lot of value, knowing that then when somebody has this problem that our product solves, they'll think about us first. And I think that gets missed a lot in, in, in some people or some types of marketing. Okay. I have so many. <laughs> you want to unpack that with me? Yes. I have so many unpacking items I wanted to I Packing want to bring peanuts. Up that. So I think there's a step after that because I do think that people need a little bit of a nudge and the nudge yep. actually works. You know, there is a little bit of bossiness that helps. I do think that in that journey of discovery, identification, because once you identify that you have a problem that needs solving and you see a potential for it, there isn't always a logical next step in your brain, depending how much where you sit in the organization. Help Scout, we wrote a bunch of guides about how to switch help desk software. Because once you identify that your software, that you have a problem, your software isn't enough, and that you found this better one, well, guess what? That's when the mountain starts. Yeah, like you're, you're really at the bottom of the that. mountain. Yeah. So you may need some leadership on how to go there. You may need us to say, hey, we will talk to you on the phone. That first sales call is like, 
geared to help us provide material for you to facilitate those conversations. So I think I, I do think that's think the that, reducing friction part. Sure. But there is this like prompt to action that yeah. we as marketers are responsible for. I do fundamentally believe that. And that doesn't just fall in the category of friction. There's a difference between me seeing a tool that I discover on product hunt and saying, oh, cool, I should use that someday to being saying, we'll send you the link to create an account so that like it's sitting in my email. So I don't have to do it right that minute. Cause I'm probably doing something else or like having me come into a webinar and then putting me into a series of follow-ups where it's like, here's a recording, here's a complimentary asset. And then someone else following up and being like, Oh, you needed this asset. Like, are you thinking about this thing? Do you want to have a comp, like a low stakes combo about this or whatever? But I think we're having the same conversation because what you're saying is, okay, let's use the product hunt analogy. You see a product on product hunt and you might say, oh, that's cool. I could use that someday. That's because you don't have an internal trigger that that problem is big enough for you to solve it today. You haven't prioritized that as something today. What I'm saying is the same thing. Like maybe I see the product hunt thing and it's exactly the problem I was experiencing five minutes ago. So I go and sign up for it. We tend to think as marketers or we like even pitch our marketing programs and funnels and conversion paths that you and I, because we're both in a similar stage in our career. We were both had like, we're like literally kind of doing the same thing in our lives. We're both women. We're both like, we we think that we would like, we have so many similarities that we expect that we would both do the same thing in that moment. And what I'm saying is there is a point where that the internal trigger of the actual problem is up to your audience. And so this idea that you were going to ever do grifting marketing, I've called it gross marketing instead of growth marketing before. The idea that like you would ever do that is forgetting that the brand and altruistic part of marketing helps build so that the audience is like, when they do have their internal trigger, they think good things about your brand and your product and your whatever, and they want to go use it rather than trying to force everybody, you and me, to both sign up in that moment when it's like the internal trigger of that problem isn't big enough for me. I think we're, we underestimate the importance of an individual of our target audience, target customers, internal trigger to actually make the decision in our conversion path. We sure. underestimate that piece. Hey, Devin, do you know what the best part about our show is? <gasps> Tell me. We make so many new best friends that hang out with us every week. It's kind of weird that we don't see them hanging out with us every week, but we really, really appreciate the folks that do. And so if you want to be in our lives and us in your ears on a weekly basis, I want you to go and find that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast and let's be friends forever. And please rate and review because it really helps support the show. We love you bunches. One of the ways it shows up for me in blog content specifically is when you're trying to find the answer to something, an in-depth something in the B2B SaaS world that requires a blog post. Like it absolutely is not a one-line answer. Yeah. Like certain aspects of SEO or something else, editing or I don't know. If it promises to do something mm -hmm. that contains depth and multitudes of understanding and tactics, and then doesn't deliver those very clearly defined tactics in the post, that to me is grifting. So 
we are going to teach you the seven steps to keyword research. Yeah. Terrible example. And those seven steps include do keyword research. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know yeah. what I mean? Like find yeah. keywords that are relevant to your subject matter. Write content on those keywords. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Like, yes, but also like you're missing all the fundamental understanding and context that I need to be able to do that successfully. Yeah. That is an example of grifting to me. You are writing the post for the purpose of getting people to this page for some reason. And then you're hoping that whatever it is you set up there will just get me to take a certain percentage of me's to take the next action. And we've all done it, right? Like I know I've searched a topic and I right click open new tabs in like the top whatever, six articles and you skim through them and you're like, well, that was a waste of time. 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 The interesting challenge here is that a high bounce rate for posts either means that you did a good job and solved somebody's problem or they fucking hated it and they bounced off of your... You said something earlier about the getting them to understand they have a problem. Mm -hmm. To me, when you think of that as a broad category, so it's not like getting them to realize they have a problem category also involves them getting to understand, get the, getting the company to understand there's a problem. It's not just them. They're also trying to get other people. So that actually is a crucial and elongated phase, in my opinion. Oh, There's a lot that goes into that. That's where you're kind of like grabbing at the fairies in the sky and trying to bring them into like a smaller area that you is sort of in What is that metaphor? I was thinking of fireflies and it came out as fairies. <laughs> like things that are kind of flying around, right? And you're trying what to like- fairies just fly free, Devin? Why are you capturing them? I know. Them? That's so rude. Maybe you're like herding sheep, right? Yeah, There's okay. a point where you say, okay, I, you know, you can roam around all day in the yep. field, but at some point you need to come back into this other small, like still large area, but smaller, these fences, right? That's better. That's be yeah. better. Thank you. <laughs> better analogy. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So, but that first phase, that awareness phase that, because we talk about it in terms of brand awareness, but what you're, there's a pre-brand awareness phase, which is a problem awareness phase. <clears throat> yeah. And that has more than, it's not just identifying, oh, I need a different software or I need a, a solution altogether. There's more to it. It's identifying that there is a something blocking the growth of your company in some yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is a harder thing for people to define. And so you as a brand, it's a big job to be done. You're not the only one responsible. Consultants typically help with this stuff as well. But I think that's a really big meta phase and one that we don't really talk about that much. We're always talking about brand awareness, like this, it's the you first. Yeah. But it's really, because it's also not necessarily product market fit either. That's another thing that people talk, that you could relate this to. It's not that either. It's helping someone who isn't a marketer at a company understand what they need to help them bring in more customers in a period of time or a certain type of customer or, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's messy. And that's usually where consultants, agencies come in. They're helping them trying to narrow that down, that decision down. Yeah. And that's a tough thing for like a, for example, like a software tool to do for you. Yeah. And I don't really have an answer to that. It just struck me as something kind of like 
I don't know. I haven't talked about we haven't talked about that much. It's messy. It's nebulous. It is so up funnel that nobody really wants to spend time or money or whatever doing it. But it is the important thing to then make the rest of your process easier, your conversion flow, your funnel, whatever you want to call it. And I think that I absolutely agree with you. I think I've had a lot of conversations with founders on not just, okay, what's your product messaging? What's your like brand messaging, right? And then like, what's the mission, vision, problem space messaging, right? Ideally, there's a through line and those places blend together. But so many times I'll even talk about brand messaging and people are giving me product messaging. I'm like, no, no, above that, right? What is the that phase, right? Yeah, um, I think that's the problem with all this like product... I'm not speaking – I'm going to use the phrase product-led growth, but I don't mean it in the sense of – I'm like, let's go into it if you're going to say something about product-led growth. No, because I don't mean the practice or the whatever that's called as a thing. It's it's when people create a product to solve a problem and then the rest of their strategy becomes about the product first, which I know is not product-led growth, but that was the phrase that I could – that meant what I was trying to say. So, and, and so, you know, the hammer and nail thing where it's like customer validation, we want to validate this problem. And I know that it's a two way street, you know, when you're doing that product market fit experiment, it doesn't just, you're not trying to pigeonhole your product into the customer. You're taking that feedback and making some early augmentations to the product. But I think that inevitably you're focused on a product first, whereas to me, it should be the opposite where I wouldn't even start start with messaging at all. I'd say, what is the mission and vision? What am I trying to achieve here in the world for a group of people or who does it serve? What is my vision of how that's going to play out? And what are my values? What are my principles? Messaging comes after that. I agree. Yeah. But, But a lot of times it's coming from the product up to that. And I'm like, that's to me, that's backwards. Yep. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there because it's hard, I think, when product-focused founders have a product in their hot little hands and haven't built it from that top-down model. I don't know a great way to go bottoms up outside of like trying to get that founder to understand that that product probably came from mission, vision, values of themselves and trying to like suss out what those were to see if we can bring them back down. I think that's a really big challenge, but it also, I've just, I've seen it so acutely. (laughs) Just Also think about the whole investing structure that supports it. Yeah. It's all about numbers. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not very vision focused. They'll ask you for that. Yeah. But really what they're asking for you is like a big vision for how you're going to make money. Like- to me, the energy feels different of altruistic marketing versus grifting. But there is a little bit of like altruistic marketing is like a trust in the world, a trust in, I don't know, growth. To me, what makes it grifty is that it's empty. Yeah. It doesn't actually. It's a bait and switch. Right. It doesn't fulfill the promise that it makes. Yep. But altruistic marketing also is not correct because this was one of the things that I was working with Cisco on is they're like, look, we have a ton of traffic. We have a ton of great content. They were being extremely altruistic. Yeah. But 
they had so much of it. It didn't go anywhere. It wasn't strategic. So much of their content was really good and thoughtful. Yeah. It just- But they weren't telling them what to do next. Right. There wasn't a through line. There wasn't a journey. It was purely altruistic. It's like, here's a nice thing. And they're like, great. Okay. Bye. And it didn't, you know, and so that was a good example of altruism is, doesn't work either. You want to blend altruism with purpose and outcomes. And that has to sit up here. So then at a granular level, there will be a percent that is just there available to you for free. And you will see based on what you measure, what of that can serve a deeper purpose and be useful as like a moving people to a more decision-making place. Like Help Scout, we wrote this post, purely altruistic. We said, how to switch your help desk software. We weren't saying how to switch it to Help Scout. We were like, we know this is actually a really big business decision that involves tactics and, you know, and we know what those are. And stakeholder. Yep. So we made a resource to help people do that. And we also knew the people who use the product the most weren't always the people that got to make the decision. And so we really needed to enable them to get the right decision made for them. And so we wrote this piece. It was optimized for search. So we were looking to get traffic from it, relevant traffic. And we then, it was it succeeded in that there were other metrics that we were looking at that were like, this is working in some way. I can't remember what it was. So then we converted it to a PDF and we put it as a slide up on the homepage. If I recall correctly, it ended up being a significant in some way contributor to the number of leads that we got. And the leads were for the most part qualified or good at that stage of the funnel that we had back then that I don't remember. That's a good example of pairing the altruism with the tactics that give that altruism purpose that serves the business goal. So you can continue to be altruistic as a company. You continue to help serve your community. When I've seen this, I have, I think it's usually that people are being too, too grifty and not altruistic enough rather than vice versa. But I did experience that at Envision when we we're like at some point we were like we should probably talk about the product like ever like sometime ever (laughs) that was those days no we weren't talking about our product no like product marketing was like something that I think we built in year I I think I was at I think I was envisioned for probably a proper like a full year before we had any like actual product marketing and we were like oh yeah we should probably do that and I've only then encountered it one other time where I recently was talking to a founder who had done just like what we're talking about had built a great blog with a great brand and it wasn't bringing in any leads and I looked at it and I was like well you need to add in CTAs. <laughs> there just has to be like a, yeah, like, yeah, this is great. Like I would read these articles and and it seems like they're providing a lot of value. And like the fact that you have so many people in your newsletter and that like this is working is wonderful. You have the brand affinity. Now just like show them what to do next, right? And I think indexing that way though is really, really powerful. Indexing the other grifty way 
Um, it's hard to come back and build that brand feeling or that like affinity if you started in the grifty way than it is to like have that problem of like, oh my God, everyone loves us, but they're not converting. What do we do? It's like, well, yes. probably just show them the next path. And to me- That's a really good point. Yeah. To me, when I'm like thinking of ways to lean or things to build or problems to have, I would much rather that we have a loyal- like community for our brand, but we just don't know how to convert them yet. I would live there in a million, a million years rather than like, I don't know. We have some leads, but everyone hates us. No, that's such a good point. We have some and leads, too- but everyone feels like we're used car salesmen. I'm like, <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I mean, that's what made Help Scout so great. I came in and looked, I said, well, first, maybe let's start talking about customer service. Yeah. <laughs> You know, being altruistic by helping people with the psychology of color. Yeah, it's not, yeah, not useful. There has to be the business impact, of course. Yeah, the business tie to it. Let's gear towards the topic at hand, bring in the product a little bit, experiment with how to get people to take deeper action in connecting with us as a brand, whether that's a newsletter, sign up, it's attending a webinar. But yeah, that made it fun for for me because – you're right. That's like a great problem to solve. I'm like, everybody loves us and let's just get them to participate with us more. Yeah. Let's get them more active. The one thing we haven't talked about yet is we've been talking about grifting more from the brand standpoint and more from the blog standpoint. Yeah. We have not yet talked about grifters. Mm-hmm. Personal no, I... brand people who are out in the world writing books and saying words that on platforms, social platforms, that to my continual surprise, yeah, get a lot of engagement. The number of posts where I see people saying absolutely nothing. And having other people grifting on top of that by leaving an empty comment. Let's use LinkedIn as an example. They're working the LinkedIn algorithm together to get all these followers. And my question is, to what end? Like you and I, when we made this podcast, we said, we want to serve marketing leaders because we looked around. No, we didn't. We say we want to make something for ourselves. We want to make something fun. Fine. But we're marketing leaders and we were like, look, and there's nothing for us basically. What we That's said was we feel like our conversations are insightful and we like the way that we come out of it with new perspectives and new ideas. And maybe that would be useful to share publicly. And also yeah. there wasn't anything like that no. that we could find out there in the podcast format. I agree. It wasn't especially coming from females yeah, where it was, everything was guest driven, guests yeah. and tactics, guests and tactics. We're like, look, the primary people that we are t- talking to are ourselves. We are marketing okay. leaders. We've been in this business for over 10 years. Like there are fewer of us. And, and this is something that you specifically have had to remind me as we've been going through thinking about what we want to do around growing this concept, not just the podcast is we're not looking for everybody. We don't need tens of millions of followers. That's not what we're trying to do here. There are tens of millions of us out there. Yeah. And so success to us looks like a lower but highly engaged community 
And I think that when I see a lot of those sort of volume driven, empty posts and then empty engagements, yeah, you're just like, what, what are you doing this for? I do think that there's this thing that I keep going back to of it's how people feel. Maybe there's something there that they feel part of something. Maybe it's not that it needs to be so like this was useful, this was helpful, but like this feeling of belonging. And I mean, that is part of what we talk about. Okay. But how do you explain like people blatantly hopping on AI trends for like topic trends of any kind, AI being the most useful, where they're just regurgitating the same thing that's already said, or just like clearly like I don't know. I don't buy that. And I, I'm not going to say that it's sinister either. Yeah. I think it's fundamentally self-serving, which I'm not even necessarily saying is – there's no moral conversation happening here. Yeah. There are people okay. doing things. This is what I've always said. You know, People are always asking me, have I read this business book or that business book? And my answer is usually no, because I find that mo- – I used to work in that business where yeah. part of growing a personal brand for someone who wanted to monetize themselves – you created a book yep. and sold it to a company and you can the do that because yeah. the way you sold that book was using your following to convince the publishing company to publish you. There's yep. nothing about that that has anything to do with serving anyone. They may be convincing themselves that they are, but the whole purpose of it is money. And so when you read the book, you're like, oh, I could listen to a Blinkist in five minutes and understand what they have to say. And P.S., that's been said a hundred times before. It's just new framing, right? Knowledge is an industry and that's fine. I don't have any, there's nothing wrong with that. And not every single person who is consuming content wants depth. And that's fine too. Yeah. But there's a difference between that and a post that says nothing. Yeah. And I, it, I love that it exists personally. Because it makes me look great. <laughs> I can write a post on a bad day or it can be disorganized and it still says more. Yeah. You know? I'm but, thinking of like those those like pages in a legal contract where it's like this page intentionally left blank. <laughs> it's like a LinkedIn post that was like this LinkedIn post intentionally left blank, but please like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> Wait. Now I want you to post that. <laughs> I might. That might be my post for this for this our episodes. That I need that post to go out and I need to see what happens. <laughs> well, that's like my friend, my friend Andy from that I worked with at Envision the other day just <laughs> wrote a post on LinkedIn. He's like a LinkedIn um definitely not a grifter. He's having fun with it. He's like I like a, Andy stuff. Yeah. Like he just stuff. wrote eggs the other day and he was coming. <laughs> He wrote behind the scenes, he told, which I only saw later on, so I didn't do this, but he he had prompted in Slack. He was like, can you just comment eggs under it? I want to see how many people I can get to just comment eggs underneath this post on LinkedIn. That is amazing. Uh, it's like a, I don't know, LinkedIn comedian, LinkedIn troll. Like a troll is too negative of a word, but I like love that he just like does not refuses to take it seriously. Every post I that can't. he does, I just obs- obsessed. I also, that's actually a good point though, the way that algorithm, like some platform algorithms can contribute to certain aspects of this, specifically LinkedIn. And I think people who read my posts frequently see me ranting at the end where I'm like, the best user experience is for me to put the link here. I know. I provided you (laughs) 
with information in this post. So I didn't just say, hey, I wrote a post about this thing, go off platform and listen to it. I invited people to engage with me on something and provided enough depth that they could stay on the platform and have a conversation with me. Like there was enough in there to do that. But I also included the link. Algorithm be damned. You will put the link in the post itself. Yeah, but the problem is, and I have to see if this is still true. We're still all talking like it's true, but I don't know. I don't know the LinkedIn algorithm or how frequently it's updated. But the the idea is that if you want the most reach, don't put the link in the post. Put it in the comment, but don't be the first to comment. So wait to post it until someone else has commented. I'm like, that is a horrible yeah experience for the people who are encountering a post of mine. Yep. If someone's encountering a post of mine and they want to know more, it should be absolutely available to them, whether or not it keeps them on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is being fucking grifty with their algorithm by saying, I can't provide a good user experience with my post because it takes people off their platform. I'm like, I mean, people will come back to your platform more if you make the user experience great. Yeah. It's amazing to see how much of our behavior has changed based on the algorithms. I mean, you think about like LinkedIn broetry because it's like you need to like break it up so that people click read more and then your post gets more engagement. Or the other word that I laughed at the other day is somebody said the word thread boys to me. Like you haven't heard of it? Well, it was like maybe a couple months ago that I heard it, but it really oh, made me is... chuckle when somebody said thread boys. I was oh, like, yeah, oh, I know exactly thing. what that is. But I'm thinking of like how much just like of our own. I'm wondering how much language is being shaped and how much behavior is being shaped based on these algorithms that we kind of don't even think about anymore. Because like the that LinkedIn broetry is like definitely now a standard practice of writing, right? I was reading a, like a LinkedIn, what was it? Okay, here we go. LinkedIn algorithm 2023 key findings to remember. So like reach per format, right? It's like, they're basically these people have scienced it out to such a minute degree that it's like, okay, well, post one to three posts per week, but a minimum of 18 hours between posts. And the most important thing is regularity. Oh my God, send this to me, please. Yeah. Then it's like weight of engagement. One like equals one extra view. One share equals seven extra views. One comment equals 12 extra views. And then commenting on your own post. Not at first, but when there's a few comments already, do it. 20% growth in the first hour. And make sure that you get a ton of engagement in the first 90 minutes. And a PDF document gets... 2.2 to 3.7 X reach. Like they really, and I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah. How, imagine trying to write a post about something that you actually, is meaningful. And like, this is what you're following. Don't mention more than 15 accounts per post. Max 10 emoji per post, not more than four per line. But it's ridiculous. The post of mine that went viral last year, I was ranting. I was like, I think social media for B2B SaaS just doesn't fucking work anymore. And I was like, rah, 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 rah. and people were like, oh my God, it sparked a huge conversation because it was. Well, you had so many comments that that just like 12x every every comment 12x. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but yeah, I just think it's like, I think the platforms do support some of this grifty behavior. And I think oh, that. Oh, for sure support the grifting behavior creates the grifting behavior. 
Yeah. And so now we're basically talking to an algorithm so that we can talk to more people and it creates an experience that's fundamentally surface level. Of course, grifting is happening, but also then like, why, like, still don't do it. Like, there's gotta be a better way. (laughs) Like there has to be a better way. The same conversation was happening back you know, a decade ago about this idea that like to write for the algorithm, the search algorithm versus writing for humans and people were grifting back then, keyword stuffing and all these things. People do it apparently on like TikTok and Instagram where they put the keywords and then they change the color, make it really small and put it in the corner. So like the use, like the viewer doesn't see it, but the algorithm sees it. Like we are only going to continue to have to understand algorithms and understand how to work with them to have our desired business behavior. We have for a decade and it's going to speed up, right? As everything just speeds up and moves faster. But I actually come from the opposite side here where I'm like, I don't know if putting your hands up and saying like, don't do it. There has to be a better way. Like it is it's happening, right? Like, and there is, if you truly think that you have some value to provide and you want to make sure that your value that you're providing or your solution, if you truly believe in it and it's not even a grifty solution and it's, and you feel good about it, like I, yeah, like make sure there's no more than four emojis per line on LinkedIn. Sure. But that's not grifting. Like that is just like that example, which is about the algorithm. Here's why I don't agree. Because I think there is a way out. And that is the red pill. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Going nuclear. <laughs> um, that is becoming a hermit and buying a farm. <laughs> the opposite. This ties back to community and creating original ideas, more bespoke stuff, and continuing to do it over and over, making an effort to build community around that by sharing it within your community in multiple different ways, which does require platforms, but it's a more hand-to-hand type of thing. Look at Wistia. Wistia has done that for years. And so, and it doesn't always require money. Money. They made a whole campaign showing you that the cheapest one that they, the video commercially did was the one that did the best. One of the best campaigns. Right. And so I actually completely disagree with that. Sure. I'm not trying to say get rid of all the platforms. I love LinkedIn. Like I, I use it for business, organic business growth, and it works like a charm. Like people just book calls with me because I put my Calendly in my description. It's really cool. But I do think that it isn't that we're not, we don't have to become a bunch of people beep bopping the invisible tag and you know, hashtags in the seven return page returns down in the Instagram comment. Like there is a way to do something original and use your community to grow awareness around it and use that as a channel itself. Hmm. In addition to other ones, right? Like obviously I'm not saying don't use search as a channel. Don't use paid distribution as a channel ever like of course you're close to saying don't use search as a channel anymore so yeah seriously search doesn't surface original content it surfaces generic answers but that's what i'm saying is like there has to be a way out because there is a way out and what would happen if there was an abundance of people 
doing that, people with high enough profiles that it matters. Because the problem is there are people, I'm sure there's a ton of people I don't see on LinkedIn who are saying really cool random things and that would inspire me, but they're not surfaced because they don't have big followings and they can't grow their followings because they're not following the algorithm to do it. They're just saying their original thoughts, right? You have to keep doing it over and over. A trend starts somewhere, including TikTok. They don't just emerge out of nowhere. Someone does something for long enough and it catches on. Yeah. And so that is still a possibility. Nobody likes it when it comes to business because you can't guarantee anything and it's hard. But it is possible. And imagine if everyone everyone's personal brand out there who is writing a book, like imagine if everyone was doing it that way. Yeah. I would read more business books. And it goes back to that, like coming (laughs) from the mission, vision, values thing rather than coming from, oh, I have this product or I have this solution or I have this, like the bottoms up approach. What I hear you saying is that you wish more people operated from specific mission and values so that we were all truly trying to help each other rather than trying to force people to do a certain thing. There's less and less incentive to do that because there are an increasing number of tools that enable you to game the system faster and easier. And AI isn't the only one, right? Well, game it for what though? Because I mean, as we go back to it, well, yeah. And, And is that the KPI that we, you know, Again, with like the KPR, KPI, but also the the time horizon that we're looking out to. Like, is that it's the right faster. thing? It's probably faster. It's probably faster than building a brand. That's the unfortunate thing is the incentive, the the funding, all of that has to be there, right? Content, because it is, I think it is fundamentally a short-term play in that you can't rely solely on outpaid mechanisms or sort of more algorithmic mechanisms. They should be a part of the overall functioning engine, but I I do think that there's an incentive problem, right? Look, especially when times are tough, right? So everybody is trying to survive because while everyone else is doing the short-term band-aids, if you're the one really trying to do something lasting, the odds of you coming out later on on top are higher, but you have to make it through that time. And so it's really complicated, but I still, like, I think it's like, you it's have to survive long other. enough for your brand to actually start working. Or yeah. Your, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you need this next quarter's lead volume. So you want to do the cheap, paid, quick stuff. Yeah. And if you're working on an operation of one or the other, like what if you don't have enough for both? Or you don't have even one creative or marketing person on your team who can help you think about ways that you can like low cost experiments and branded work that you can do while you're spending the majority of your budget on paid. Yeah. I've always said that brand doesn't need to be expensive. I know. It just doesn't need to be a huge line item. It just, it needs to be prioritized and you need you need enough of your team's time on it, but it does it's not inherently an expensive thing. Especially when you spread it out. I mean, this is what I did at Springpad. It yeah. wasn't even my job. <laughs> My job was customer support, but part of that was maintaining this community of robust, opinionated users. And I loved our product. I loved our users. So I was naturally engaged in it. And when, you know, one of them came to me wanting to do a, you know, the spring pad show, which I've talked about before, I was like, hell yeah. And then I found ways to get our engineers involved. And so spreading that brand work out where of course, like that was back in the day where people were not logging every single second that they were working. 
And I was like, listen, I get my CEO. I'd be like, can I buy pizza and beer and get them to stay a little bit after work and record two minutes of me interviewing them on this one thing? And yeah. like, they were all happy to do it because we all liked each other and we were happy for the pizza and beer. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, so, I mean, that, I mean, that's brand work and yeah. it worked. Yeah. You know, cumulatively it all worked, but yeah. I think at one time I remember at Help Scout, I used to get like team, an entire group of people to stay late to make music videos. <laughs> Leia. Okay, but that sounds really like, fun. <laughs> it was. Leia, she rented a robot suit. One time, and these were her ideas. I just yeah. pitched the like uh, the fundamental thing. The individuals who participated ended up bringing their own. Cri- she one time was like, "You know, it'd be really interesting, funny. I should actually crack an egg on my face." And I was like, "And she did, and it was hilarious." But they were happy. I bought it. You know, got had the budget to buy everybody dinner yeah. and a glass of wine, and like we all hung out. We were laughing, having the best time. No one stayed later than they wanted to. And it was all almost sounds like brand can help you build a great culture too. And that those <gasps> things are really intertwined culture yeah. and brand. Yeah. And that like staying late at work doesn't always mean you're a slave to the man. It just means that you're like excited about something. So that is it. Grifting is bad business. Yeah. Don't be a grifter. Yeah. Be a gifter. <gasps> but ask for something in return a certain percentage of the time. Yeah. Because yeah. don't be don't be a give yourself away or either. That's the thing I don't like about altruism is I'm like, we're not in – we're not Mother Teresa. We are a business. And so we do – you do have to build a return of some kind in there. You, you would be yeah. – it would be – that would also be somewhat grifting if you were to say we're only giving it away for free to be nice the to the world. Of our heart, yeah, yeah. It's like that's not really it either. But you're, it's not. You're, it, yeah, it's it's the long game, right? It's not about altruism for altruism's sake. It's about the long game where we we truly believe that if you help somebody enough, that it will come around. Yep. But also, you will lead them to the path. You'll make the path as easy as possible for them. To give you what you want. And even ask, right? Yeah. That's where sales comes into exactly. play. You don't get what you don't ask for, you know? I have this card right here. Tell people exactly how to utilize you. Yes. Lead them to the gumball machine. Charge them 25 cents. Um, One doll hair. One doll. <laughs> Bring it back. Bring it back. <gasps> Here's what's coming up next on Don't Say Content. When I try to power through for too long, I get to a place where I spend a lot of time trying to do something and end up accomplishing nothing. And I'm more tired from it and more stressed. Whereas when I just stop and waste time and then go have fun... I get, when it comes back to it, I might be a little agitated because I feel sort of under pressure, but then I get a lot done really quickly and I feel fine. I actually feel a little bit relieved. Would it be okay with you if your life got easier? Mm. And that was a gut punch to me because it was like, how many times am I forcing something, right? How many times am I like 
digging deep on the motivation and like making myself do something. And would it actually be okay with me if my life got easier, if I worked with my life instead of working against it? Okay, y'all, that's a wrap. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll be back next week. And just remember, you're doing great. You're doing great. 30% of you are doing great. The rest, you got to get your shit together. Come on. You know, you know which side you're on this week. You know. (laughs) You know. See you next week. Bye. Bye. That's how you know that we are recording in the middle of pollen season. (laughs) No, I'm trying to put on my best, like, um, statesman preparation, you know. Straightening your bow tie. My, yes, my bow tie. Clearing my throat, getting ready. Four score and. (laughs) You can tell I just came from D.C. (laughs) Feeling that U.S. history. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha.